1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello. Welcome to the New Books in Jewish Studies podcast. I am your host, Ari Barbalat. Today, it is my honor to be in dialogue with Dr. George Eisen. He is a professor and international author. He is the CEO of Global Education Consulting. We will be discussing his newly published book, A Summer of Mass Murder, 1941, Rehearsal for the Hungarian Holocaust, published in West Lafayette, Indiana, by Purdue University Press, 2023. George, it's an honor to be in dialogue with you today.
1: It is absolutely my pleasure. I'm looking forward to a nice, nice
0: dialogue. Thank you so much. It is a true blessing. To begin, can you tell us about yourself? Where did you grow up? What formative events in your life inspired the scholar you would become as an adult?
1: Um, This is one of the most intriguing questions you can provide me with. Um, It happens all the time I'm starting my book talk with my background. It is a very unique background, very unique because I... As, as an Israeli, American, I was uh, Hungarian, I was in Budapest during the war, and um, eh, Budapest had, at that time, 22 districts, and we lived in the toughest district, it's a working district, until today it's very socialist, it's a working district. My father was a simple wagon uh, driver. I mean, that can be the lowest level per se, almost the lowest level of, of a workforce. Wagon drivers with horses. Uh, my whole family was from the lower socioeconomic classes. It, hard, it would have been hard to predict that I will have a doctorate, this uh, honorary doctorate from several universities. But thanks to my mother, who was a, a very intelligent woman with four-grade education, that I was promoted and pushed to excel in school. Again, uh, it was a working district. It defined me. And until today, when people ask me, uh, do you speak Hungarian? I say, no, I'm speaking the district language which I was growing up. It's very unique, very tough. No, surprisingly I became a boxer Wow, I, it's a surprise but many Jews from the rural socioeconomic classes were in boxing you know, I know it's found even in the United States. that was one of my interests in my early scholarship uh, Jews in sport uh, it, it uh, promoted me because uh, I was interested how I ended up being a boxer. my mother, strongly, strongly discouraged me, told me, no, you have to go to school. But the street also speaks, speaks rather clearly. And indeed, boxing was a sign of distinction in the, in, the, in the neighborhood. So any case, boxing also made the possibility to escape from Hungary. I was in a junior national team. And we went to Austria on Vienna. Very quietly, I separated from my team's members on went to the Israeli embassy on asking to bring me to Israel. They didn't want to believe me at the time. Am I talking too much? Let me know. Not at all. Let me know. Stop anytime. Thank you. Not at all. Part of the pilgrimage I would say and the ending in Israel. I had family in Israel by that time. We tried to get to Israel in 1950, if I remember correctly, they were caught in the, on the border of Slovakia and my parents went to prison. I was growing up for a year without parents.
0: Um,
1: in uh, any case, the Israeli embassy for a moment didn't want to believe I am Jewish. So I explained that, yes, I have family in Israel. I think she built sent a especially in to check in the. In the village uh, where my family lived my aunt uncle uh, cousins on within three days uh, i was spirited out of uh, austria vienna and brought to israel neither my parents nor my family uh, knew what i had decided so it was quite a surprise uh any case so it gives you my background my high school uh, I finished in, in Hungary and it was very a definitive, very strong influence in my later years when I'm going to university because it was an excellent high school. My teacher in history and in, in also in literature were Jewish. Um they strongly pushed me on and, and they promoted me that I study art. I think it's a good background, by the
0: way. <laughs> Uh, sooner or later, I have to write this one up in my memoir. What inspired you to write this book? What message do you hope to convey to readers?
1: Um, again, going back to growing up in the late 40s and 50s, there was a strong uh, movement among Jews to move away from Judaism, Deny what happened. Not deny the, the Holocaust, but to deal with it. It was quite an interesting period. Many of them became communists. My family, not. My family strongly anchored in religion, strongly anchored in history. I know from the beginning, from the 40s, late 40s and early 50s, that my father was in a concentration camp in Mauthausen next to Vienna. The stories uh, he told were nothing hidden was very very um affirmative in my development of my own identity we never met the night i remember so distantly my mother praying friday night over the candles i didn't understand what she's saying but it still anchored in my mind she came from a religious uh, family my father lot. he didn't know how to pray. But again, had a strong identity. The identity was made, of course, because the Holocaust. The um, Israel also was very strongly in the background because some of my family members escaped in the late 1940s to Israel. So we had the connections both ways. Having said that, it, um, it's connected with the book, by the way. I also became aware one told the story of two of my uncles, my father's two younger brothers, who were uh, expelled from Hungary uh, by their law that they are not Hungarian citizens. My grandfather was born in Galicia, which was Austrian province in the 19th century. So it wasn't an issue that he was uh, somehow from outside of the mainstream mm-hmm. many many people from galicia left galicia until the term galicianer is so embroidered so anchored in jewish history so my grandfather very early age came to budapest almost two million of Galicianers went to the united states except in hungary in 1941 decided Outbreak of the Second World War. It's time to expel these foreign Jews, Galicians. So two of my uncles were expelled. My grandfather also was arrested, but my mother, as strong as intelligent as she was, went to the authorities and told them, "Ah, ah, ah! He is only well seventy years old, and that was the law." So they released him. But the two Uncles caught up in them where 20, thousand Jews were expelled at that time to Galicia, where the Hungarian military was already on the side of the Germans. And um I started to learn about their fate. The fate was quite grisly. A Hungarian military officer was present. They, you know, or the Germans, the mass murder in 1941 wasn't a well-kept secret. Everybody knew about it, including the Hungarian military. They didn't participate in it, just transported the Jews. On one of the trains of my middle uncle was there on offer to help this middle uncle giving them Hungarian uniforms. And my uncle said, I cannot leave my brother, the youngest. How can I, I can't leave it? And the, the Hungarian officer said, I cannot save both of you. So the story was ingrained. I understood. Uh, as I write in the book, the middle one was shot in the head. A younger one jumped alive into the mass grave. It's intrigued me. Later, I wrote books about the Holocaust quite well received all over the world published from Japanese to Turkish to German uh, on many other languages all day I was intrigued on in 2008 I was working in the Ukraine in a university and I just prefers to my two colleagues how about if we go to the mass murder site where my two uncles were killed it was a deputies. I don't know what I wanted to do there. I know that I would not be able to find. It was a mass grave uh, on the Hungarian especially, were not identified. They didn't have any anchor in the local community when they were mass murdered. The Germans didn't know what to do with this large mass of Hungarian Jews in the first place. So the decision was made. Now that I'm writing about it, I found all the Details, amazing details that I'm still shaking my head. Just today I was talking with Ukraine and I was telling them that I can't believe the material I found. In any case, uh, we went there and I honestly didn't know. Monuments don't speak to me. It doesn't mean anything. But suddenly my two colleagues next to the mass grave found an old lady who was selling flowers in their small marketplace, open market. They started on, she started to tell that I was there when it happened. I was an eight-year-old peasant girl. Next to the mass where their side was a village. Nothing was hidden. And this woman started to talk, and I was quietly listening the translation. She spoke, of course, in Ukrainian. And that's how it started this book. I know it's a long story. I am explaining it, but I didn't think about writing a book. But when this woman opened, started to cry. I got the message that it has to have a book about it. I also wanted to figure out what on how on earth the Hungarian government decided to expel these people who were born in Hungary. Were Hungarians to the problem. Um, It was a quest that uh, consumed me for the last 10 years. And I found material that I have to, up till today, more or less, just just, uh, shaking my head. Nobody ever touched this subject in depth. I never write anything which already written, which already touched. I'm not interested. It has to be something very unique. Uh, that might lead me to the next step because I am interested to know uh, what would be my next book. And I already know more or less a follow-up to this story. It's a story gripping. Just today I was talking with a colleague of mine from Ukraine that we found material in the Ukrainian archives that bring this whole story into a... Human dimension. I don't like to write to to historians. Exactly the opposite. I want to write to people. I mentioned the term history is made by human stories. And not just a general decides this way or that way on this military, that military. But how it's affect the human group, humanity. So I hope it's not overwhelming what I have to say now um it's 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 almost a confession for me to tell you that what propelled me to write this book again uh it's not just history it's also several layers of political science psychology the psychology of the victims the psychology of the executioners i am fascinated to see that in uh, the Holocaust. It was multi-layered. People don't understand it. From one region to another region was a different process. Galicia was very unique. So it's not just the Hungarians themselves, but how Holocaust in Galicia evolved. Not like in Belarus. Not like in Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia. It was a very unique process.
0: And I'm working on that. This this fascinates me. What are the primary themes in your book? What story does your book tell? <clears throat> uh, first, on the, the
1: number one priority to separate Galicia or Hungary from all the other countries. The main theme is, indeed, what happened in Galicia and within this full story, what happened? What happened to these Hungarians that inadvertently you know, ended up in a place that they had no clue in? Um, neglected, killed, abused. On, um, on the we have amazing uh, descriptions and records. Sometimes <laughs> records that bring in the human element of the story give you an example just today I was talking as I mentioned with a colleague of mine who is a researcher and he provided me amazing material from the Ukrainian archives. What was interesting about it that it described in dry details the Hungarian authorities, educational authorities, principals in different schools on this day describing, that they don't have any more Jewish schools or Jewish students disappeared. So we don't need as much classroom. We don't need as much human resources because all the Jewish kids disappear. Now, this is a dry language, but we do know that they disappeared because they transported to Galicia across the border from Hungary. Uh, This uh, human element brings forward the central point that indeed human stories what happened to these children that's in itself it's 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 a fascinating point also um the primary themes is the murder mechanism in itself in uh, in holocaust literature you're constantly hearing einsatzgruppe the murder squads they were sent by himmler Heydrich. And so forth the different parts of the of the of the Holocaust universe, Eastern Europe. In Galicia, you didn't have that. Absolutely there is no Einsatzgruppe. Many researchers had no clue why. There, in number one Galicia came very late into the German orbit after the attack against the Soviet Union. Nineteen forty-one, somewhere. By that time, Latvia, Lithuania, and everything else, on special Poland, ceased to exist. Now, in Galicia, the murder uh, mechanism, so to speak, or the or the, Holocaust itself was based locally. Local SS officers implemented the mass murder. Uh, sometimes what fascinates me is that very low level, second uh, lieutenant, first lieutenant, Obersturmfuhrer, were able to kill or initiate the killing of 80,000, 85,000 people. Um, how did they do it? Their whole contingent was maybe 25 to 50 people, but they had supporting mechanism, not the Einsatzgruppen. group. But the supporting mechanism, to give you an example, the most uh, well known is, of course, Babi Well, it really wasn't so much involvement of either Eisen's group. The main body of perpetrating the Holocaust will support police, the uh, police uh, battle, reserve police battalion. One of the most interesting was 101, police battalion 101. But when I bought it, it was simple policemen. On um, what happened in Galicia, specifically, excuse me, uh police battalions from Vienna, simple policemen were enlisted to the murder squads. Uh, in uh, in this case, the largest massacre until nineteen forty-one was in Kamenets Podolsk. And the reason of creating this mass murder was because so many Hungarian Jews ended up in this town. <laughs> Here comes the another interesting thing, is that the Wehrmacht, the German army, wasn't involved in that. The leading general, von Röck, called von Röck, forbid specifically the military to participate in mass murder supported it, requested it, but not participating in it. Supported again, I emphasize it. So <clears throat> beside the SS commandant on and the staff on the supporting cast was Ukrainian paramilitary organizations, mainly guarding, collecting transporting the police battalions, and of course, uh, the murder squads were often beside the police battalions, but the commandants, its own staff, including uh, General yakel who indeed was uh, perpetrating uh, several major mass murder, SS general, but he had a very small staff. He needed the police battalions, he needed volunteers and so forth. Um, the two of the largest mass murder were one in Covenants finally 3600 On Bobby of course. Later he was transferred to the Baltics, where he also participated in mass murder. But it didn't have the German military's active participation in Galicia. Um, having said that, um, the primary themes also in the book, which are so important, one is the mechanism from the Hungarian side that made it happen. Secondly, the rescue activities from the Hungarian side, mainly women, by the way, mainly women, Uh, trying to not just uh, save or help the people who were exiled over the border, and the perpetrators. I am absolutely fascinated by the perpetrators, because the German perpetrators, specifically the SS personnel, not only were engaging in killing, What fascinates me is also that how much they were engaging in robbing the victims. Uh, Later in 1945, when some of them arrested, they found in their uh, homes amazing amount of loot. And that was another very unique for me, what happened after the war. Some of the perpetrators weren't really uh, put on trial. Some of them, yes. Um, this is my next book, if everything is turning out okay. portrait okay, of a mass murderer, one of the main mass murderers in Galicia. What happened to him? And his wife also accused of participating. What happened that woman participated who had no official standing in the military or in the security establishment, just were girlfriends or wives. So it's many in I hope uh, it's not being translated uh, to um, uh, other languages. And uh, um, I found some amazing material about this specific SS officer, Peter Lajderitz, who was tried in Poland, executed. But I'm amazed the material I was able to find. Um, as a side comment, I'm also absolutely amazed, puzzled that many of this material came to to me by coincidence of enough pictures, were were seen pictures. By the way, I still hunting or pictures, and I hope to find it, because the family of one of the mass murderer that we were able to identify lived very close to a colleague of mine in Germany. They refused to cooperate. We don't want to know it. We don't. They have some pictures. How can we get the pictures, some of the mass murderers? I would love to get it. It's still, and, and on, When you finish a book, you're not always finish it. There is also a spin-off, also waves growing, and that's what's happening now. I really hope to find uh, pictures of... I went to the National Archives. They have an SS uh, picture archives. I could not find it, uh, neither in the Bundesarchiv, but sooner or later... Hopefully, we will find Main themes.
0: That's that's the main themes. Thank you. Oh. C- can you tell us about the Kamenets Podolsk Massacre? How did it unfold? Why was it orchestrated? Can you tell us about the victims and the perpetrators? Um, the Kamenets Podolsk is really not in Galicia. It's at the
1: border of Podolia on Galicia. It was inside Podolia. The reason that so many Hungarian Jews ended up there, because the Hungarian military transferred them and they wanted to transfer them uh, beyond the Dnieper River. The reason it was that they cannot cross back. It was a natural uh, uh, barrier so that they're not able. So they wanted to expel these Hungarian Jews as far as they can. At that time, it was under military control, Hungarian, so they expelled these people as far as they can. It's roughly, at the time, the Hungarian border as you know, 300 kilometers, a little bit more. So Common products was originally a military, um, press and they transported as far as they could especially after they uh, um unloaded many of these uh, I the word is not refugees because refugees is a different I mentioned that in the book about this expellees, just trapped out in the fields far away and then um, uh-huh paramilitary forces from the Ukrainians started to move them as far, as far as possible. And because it was a fortress town, um, approximately 15,000, 16,000 Hungarian Jews were expelled there. The commandant of the city didn't want them. They sent strong requests to let them back to the Hungarian government the Hungarian government refused so many of these people don't understand and I mention in the book that the German army had serious concern about feeding their own military there's a clear doctrine you feed the military from the local supplies suddenly there were 25,000 Hungarian Jews appearing plus another refugees so the supply line became untenable. So the local commandants requested, and that's where the German general, or complicity of the German general, now von Ruck is clear, requested to solve this. So his chief of staff called together a committee, approached the SS General Jekyll, who was overseeing the security of the southern area to solve this problem. And we have exactly even the details, even the records of this meeting, where the German general indicated specifically we will, and this is the only time I found the verb liquid, liquidator, uh, li- in German, to liquidate the Jews from Hungary specifically specified from Hungary. Within three days of mass murder, massacre, and on Kamenets Dogs, the German General Yakel also added some of the local Jews. So instead 15, 16,000, the number swelled to 23,600. We know exactly. Well every day he sent back to Himmler a report, how many they killed every day, three days. The total was 23,600. The fact that we have this exactly is because the British uh, Secret Service were bluebell to get uh, to uh, listen into the communication. so they knew exactly what's happening the British Secret Service. I found the the original documents in Prague, every day the report I read in German. Um, And it was an interesting reading, because uh, um, not only that Yecker took full responsibility for it, but... He belittled all the support he got from there. He wanted all the credit. It's interesting when he when is, a, as a general, I uh, have an ego. It's so many lovers. Again, psychology comes in here, of the mass murderer. So that's the reason that communists, the became became the mass murder side. What's interesting about that, after the war, after the reconquering of the territory, they opened the uh, uh, five uh, uh, the the uh, mass graves, and they found that the majority of the people weren't killed immediately. Only thirty five percent were killed immediately. Another thirty five percent, or somewhat less, were were shot but not died. And large percentage of the people jumped themselves, or the children were automatically thrown in alive. Uh, again, uh, it's uh, I am blessed that I was able to find this material, the original material from Ukraine, and I give credit to the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum because they they, uh, uh, they recorded or uh, they. It basically uh took picture of all the documents from the ukrainian archives so you have details of the mass murder of a family for example and it's written in the in the soviet reports how they were killed the children weren't killed thrown in and when you read the report that one of the child was filming his blood because all the dead bodies all were hit uh, you read the report that after the massacre the mass graves were filled with water but it was red red legs um so that was the largest massacre
0: until then common Spodolsk. what was the intelligence action can you explain? Uh,
1: Intelligence action was a German policy of each time they were moving into a new territory. They specifically aimed to decapitate the Jewish leadership. Intelligence, the intelligentsia, the teachers, the doctors, the um, people who were more or less the lead- leaders of the Jewish community. Um, every town that they conquered, every place that they moved in. and mm-hmm. uh, That's what happened in, uh, in, in Galicia. Uh, one of the mass murderers, Kruger, came in and explained it in no uncertain terms that this is our policy. Whenever we, he arrested, a, uh, it's a fascinating story again, and so many fascinating fascinating stories in this book arrested a Polish princess. You see, Galicia wasn't a single uh, nation. Ukrainians were in majority. They were Ukrainians, they were Polish. It was a Polish province until 39. Ukrainians posed, um on Jews. So uh, the Polish princess, who was indeed in the um, polish underground was arrested on a, because she was a princess was treated a little bit differently later weren't killed as a matter of fact on countess, not princess countess, on the goronska band on contest Koronska was arrested on kruger openly boasted that we have the intelligence action because we went to completely decapitate the Jewish community or the Polish community. So um, and that's basically what happened. Also in uh, Stanislav, which is a uh, 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 Polish name of one of the huge towns in Galicia. Now it's Ivano-Franco, the Ukrainians renamed it. Oh, so that's what the intelligence action is. It was a German policy. Can you tell us about the Stanislavov massacre? Um, uh, the Stanislavov massacre, and not just in Stanislav by the way, also by uh, other towns. It was that's called the Bloody Sunday because it happened to be on Sunday, October twelfth. Uh, It was already orchestrated, not by the SS, it was orchestrated from Kiev, uh, where the uh, command went out Mm -hmm. that we have to reduce the Jewish population. On indeed, Bloody Sunday, or October 12th, the entire Galicia went through a conversion of murder. in Stanislav, again, the largest number of Jews were killed, among them, Hungarians, because there was a Hungarian exile group there, quite large, 3,000. On and they, one afternoon, we were able to kill 12,000 people. Uh, Stanislav was under the, the um, control of uh, Captain Kruger, on Captain Kruger with the decision, on it was it was basically directed from Kiev on Krakow, the two main cities in Galicia, uh can take care of the Jews, including the Hungarians. On um, it was an often the war. Um we know a l- much more on that than the kamianets podolsk The reason we know is because during the uh, whole—from 10 o'clock until 6 o'clock in the evening, 12,000 people were killed, but not just killed by bullets. What happened was they brought in group after group of Jews, and as the process of killing started, many of the Jews moved backward over the wall, crashing people. Under them, so many people died by suffocation. I know it's it's an it's hard to comprehend. I had I found one Hungarian survivor who described this whole process how they were pushed back and because they were the first one to bring in, to brought in to the cemetery. It was then new cemetery in in uh, Stanislavov and how. Krüger, Captain Krüger, who orchestrated, was running up and down with a pistol, with a rebel in his hand, and another, a bottle of schnapps. And this is what uh, people don't understand: How can you murder them non-stop? You need a lot of alcohol. And I'm discussing that in the book. Again, psychology on um, why why they're the uh, he wanted to continue the killing, but it became dark. So they wanted to bring in uh, huge trucks on their uh, lights. It lit up. But by that time, the murder squads became so drunk, they were afraid that they will shoot each other. So they stabbed the massacre. And that, uh, Stanislav was the second largest massacre in
0: Galicia after common hospitals. Can you tell us about the sexual violence that was perpetrated in Hungary during the Holocaust?
1: Um, it wasn't so much in Hungary; it's in Galicia. Hungary, they collected people, put them in uh, um, in cattle towns, brought them over to the border. From there, military trucks took them. The the sexual predation, the sexual violence. We have to understand what is sexual violence and what is sexualized murder. Mm-hmm. Um, the number one thing is uh, there are three pictures in, in my book from Poland, the process of murder. First, you collect the people. Secondly, you made them undress. And the question really, which I was why to undress people? Uh, their clothing. You can get it afterward, and after when you undress them, you can kill them. In this case, you see only women on, on children, the woman holding the babies. And the third picture is when uh, one of the policemen going from body to body to finish if somebody still alive. The middle picture captivates me because the women are completely. Nude. And one of the women in the back runs toward a group of women almost saying with her body language, wait for me, I am part of this group. And they knew that they will be killed. So sexualized violence is, uh, which, which I try to understand myself, why you have to undress people. I found one interesting picture from a Hungarian uh, uh, uh It's from 1942-43. They captured two partisans, men. Both partisans, the two of them completely on those, digging their own mess, their own grave. Why you needed to make them undress is, is, is the question. It's, no, we're talking about men now, not just women. Why? Um, Culturally, I think psychologists would say because you basically degrade them to the lowest level of existence that you can kill them. Um, sexual violence also was the question of establishing, for example, warehouses, brothels. Mm-hmm. One of the, the most uh, captivating uh, testimony I find a lot of invaluable absolutely stunning testimonies in the usc Holocaust archives video archives by spielberg the spielberg archives and it's it's indeed an, a, an absolutely amazing as one of the survivors described meeting a jewish uh woman in in the ss bravo um again sexual violence was part uh, I have to be honest with you. It's not just the, the Russians committed atrocity to the Soviets when they conquered different countries. That's where almost like a retribution. I, I can't find the right word. It's part of world. It shouldn't. But it was one of the toughest chapters that I had to write just to find the answers. I understand.
0: Yeah. What does your book's title mean, why did you select the specific words that you did for the title?
1: Uh, a summer of mass murder, it's really mass murder, wasn't perpetrated until the summer of 1941. Uh, specifically, communist products opened, and many, many uh, Holocaust historians claim that it really opened the ability to kill huge number of people if it wouldn't be august 26 to 29 it was three days many i don't know why some of the um, scholars claim two days it's a mystery to me because we have the reports it's three-day reports so we know that it was three days massacre it's open the spigot that mass murder this is doable. Um without the Commonwealth Prodovisk twenty two thousand three six hundred, I don't know if uh, Babi would have been committed. I don't know. I'm not claiming. But it was a precedent common exploders. It's durable, it should be done, and we can do it. And that's what happened in Babi It's thirty thousand. Not twenty two Two thousand six hundred, over thirty thousand. So it was a summer that opened a whole new chapter, not just in mass murder in military, um, uh, in, 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 in in military strategy. Uh, so the for me the captivation was about a summer that created a whole new reality in military history. Or in humankind, I mean, mass murder there is nothing now in in human history. Genghis Khan did it. Even in the Bible, we have entire group or 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 towns are killed in the in the Torah. But the number so numbing in in December, and when you really add together, Babi Yar was. Uh, two weeks
0: after Comrades uh, Podolsk. i hope it makes sense yes very much uh, can you t- can you tell us about your experiences traveling to hungary um, i think it's more, in-
1: <laughs> more interesting traveling to ukraine um i am very fortunate enough to have exquisitely good relationship with all around the world with my colleagues. That goes from Chile to Hungary to Ukraine. Uh, I will be in Romania in May, talking about uh, specifically uh, what was the reason from my book in some ways that the majority of the Hungarians who were expelled um, came from the border region, the poor people, specifically uh, now is, uh, now is uh, not hungry before the war, it was Hungary, but now is Ukraine and Romania, on this region. What was the reason that this region was impacted the most? Budapest was also. I mean, my two uncles were Budapest. But uh, the poorest people, some of them were very religious, granted, but... Uh, at the same time, many of these regions, the middle class was Jewish. That was the only middle class. When you, when you kill the middle class, and I talk about it in the book, you kill culture, you kill any development. Um, so when I am in, in, in Hungary, or when I'm going over to Ukraine, and I've been in Ukraine last January, I, I, nothing intimidate me. The war absolutely nothing intimidates me. Um, and I visited the site. Still, the sites. Um, I stayed a question on some colleagues uh, asking me these questions. What fascinates me about going to Hungary is again, many of my colleagues talking to each other. And I don't know if it makes sense to you. Professor to professor, they write basically one book to another. And I, I'm not in in, in this. I, I don't like that. I want to communicate with people. My role is as an educator. And it's interesting talking with my colleagues there. Just a book came out recently. Just today I was talking with a colleague who is from Transcarpatia, where is, where is the, um, now it's Ukraine, along the border of Hungary. It was Hungary before the war my family, my mother's family from um, there. So what, they, what they is fascinates me is um, many of these uh, scholars write
0: to each other. I don't know if it makes sense to you but I'm Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. I completely understand. I completely empathize.
1: Um, uh, they could care less than the general public. And the general public really don't know anything about it. Uh, So I gave a a book talk out in the provinces. It was amazing, 150 people, unheard of in in Hungary. I came, and there were high school students. One of the teachers brought the high school students. And I made it special that after the talk, I sat down with the high school students, talking with them. That will be the next generation. Uh, So many people now... Even in the United States, don't know about anything about the Holocaust. Not that it is the center of the universe, but they need to understand it. This is the first time in history a group of, of not not just the Jews, also Gypsies, Roma, were singled out specifically for extermination. Um, it's a never-ending question in my mind. I am very blessed that I was able to find material on the colleagues who, on friends, who gave material that until now I am shaking my
0: head. What an amazing, amazing sources. In your opinion, has the story of the Holocaust in Galicia and Hungary been adequately studied and told by scholars of Jewish history and Holocaust studies? You have brilliant
1: questions. <laughs> brilliant questions. I hope my uh, Hungarian colleagues will not hear it, but I answer very openly. Uh, I never touch a subject if it was already explored. And this subject was just touched, not explored. It goes one, one step beyond that. Um, and I hope it stays between us. Mm. Just, Recently, a book came out about the deportation. And one of my colleagues made the comment, it's one of the worst books they've ever touched. No names mentioned, there is no reason. Um, and it's not my style. No, it wasn't really. Several colleagues, and I mentioned in the in my thanks, in my acknowledgement, um, are really working Opening the proverbial Pandora box, but uh, no, it's 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 never was really touched in any depth, and uh, the most recent uh, publication is 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 not adequate. It's not my opinion. I didn't read the book. They are sending it to me, and I refuse to uh, even review it. You many times they ask me to review books in in various publications. In this case, I don't want to reveal it because if I cannot say something positive,
0: I don't want to say it. I am open with you. I have to tell you. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I completely appreciate it. Mm, I know. Can Can you tell us about figure 6.1, 6.2, and 6.3? Wait one minute. Let me find it.
1: I have the book in front of me. 6.1. Uh, 2 on 3 I already mentioned to you the three phases of mass murder. It's, it's absolutely stunning. It's an, apparently a German officer took it. Um, it's a, um, describes the three phases of mass murder. The collection, the undressing, and the mass murder. Um. As I mentioned to you, these three pictures are so uh, provocatively describes what happened in, in many of these places. It shows exactly, not just in this case, it's misogs in Poland, but also the same thing happened in the Podolsk or same thing happened in almost all the mass murder sites, Collection. Bringing them to the cemetery, let's say in Stanislavov, in ca- in uh, trucks, undressing, killing, and at the same time collecting the not only just the clothing, but all the valuables, which ended up in in most of the time in the main SS officers' pockets. I mentioned Nadvoorna. and you you asked me about Nadvoorna which was six days before the massacre in Stanislavov, yeah. it was a, so hard to do it. And what's interesting is, not only the SS officers were uh, collecting valuables and stealing, but also the German civilian officers, the regional governors. Uh, so uh, uh, this process of undressing uh, collecting, undressing,
0: and killing. In these three pictures, so clearly sending the message. Can you describe figure 3.4 and 3.5 with us? Okay, 3.4, I'm already
1: finding it. Oh, yes, I am. It's, it's a set of... I selected two pictures, 3.4 and 3.5. It's a set of pictures, ink pictures, which was taken by a Jewish Hungarian Jewish uh, truck driver in the military. Jews were conscripted in the Hungarian military on two levels. One is they had the labor uh, battalions, companies, next to the military doing the dirty work, digging, doing what was needed, but the drivers were kept in the military because they didn't have enough drivers. Jews were the middle class in Hungary, so many of them had driver license. And this was one of the drivers that took pictures of these refugees or these expelling. It's not refugees, it's a wrong word. And you saw in these two pictures, on many of you saw the difference in the picture for the poor uh, Jews from the borderlands, Transcarpathia. And you see one sitting there with a hat, middle-class Jew, I'm pondering what's happening here. And that's from Budapest. Interesting to notice the differences. It takes some time, but. These, I just selected two of them but there are seven or eight pictures that this on his is is uh, um his diary is priceless the perceptive questions he's asking what are we doing here if my uh, uh these people are thrown out of
0: our own country deep questions he's asking absolutely stunning can you Can you describe figure 6.4 for us? Uh, 6.4, I found
1: it in in the Ghetto Fighter Museum. Um, That's the Gestapo building. On the Gestapo building, it housed, of course, all the offices, but on the top floor, there was a brothel. On a Hungarian... uh labor uh, from the labor battalions were cleaning there and went up there inadvertently and that's where he met a jewish a woman who had to be uh, in the brothel working on the talk with the jewish woman the jewish woman heard the hungarian uh, uh, jews speaking within the hungarian military in the labor battalion speaking yiddish and he turned and started to talk moments like this it's really um, for a scholar amazing find because it brings in humanity a jewish woman who are forced into prostitution it's not prostitution either Prostitution is, you have a choice. In this case, she had no choice. Can you tell us about some of the other brothels? Yeah. I did not get into it because they're just not my area. And I'm very careful about being as scholarly as humanly possible, scholarly possible. On there were three tiers of brothels in the German universe, so to speak. One was in the concentration camps where the personnel who served in the concentration camps could use. One was in the German military on the top level brothels were for the SS personnel. Um, In the concentration camps, um, Roman prisoners served in the German military, uh, enslaved women from the community served, and in the SS brothels only really the top of the line served, very selected. Uh, it doesn't mean that they had a better life, these prisoners, women prisoners, you can imagine that. I don't want to deliberate on that. I think I respect my women's colleagues friends mm-hmm. that they should talk about it. Thank you. Uh, we- without 9.2, yes. In the woods. And um, let me jump there, please. Uh, this is an amazing uh, <clears throat> um from Carpathian Ruthenia, which today's name is Transcarpathia. So I'm using Beckonfort it. then. Yes. It's along the border there of oh, Hungary. Uh, a sliver of land that uh, basically uh, bordered by the Carpathian Mountains. That's why it's a Carpathian U- Ruthenia. ruthenians were a subgroup of Ukrainians. And the, what interestingly I found that this Jewish farmer uh, was very became very famous because it was a. Uh, um, pictured uh, a whole set of pictures was taken of him uh 9.2 yeah, yeah. the jewish farmer his wife and his six children he was jews traditionally weren't so much involved in the being farmer down to earth but in this region they did become perf- we became also farmers on the Román, I don't know if you ever heard Román Vishniak, very famous photographer, in the late 1930s, went all across this region and took pictures. And he took this picture on specifically the Jewish farmer himself. I didn't bring, I just wanted to bring this. Part of the reason I was fascinated by this picture, because this Jewish farmer and the family were transported to Galicia in 41, but because he spoke also Ruthenian, Ukrainian language, he was able, some ways I don't know how, come back with the family to the native village in Carpathian Ruthenia and re-establish himself. However, by 1944, when the full Hungarian Holocaust, um started the entire family were shipped to auschwitz and that's the segment i'm writing about twice in the holocaust when you were once expelled in 1941 you were able to come back and then you ended up in auschwitz that was the final station no escape And this this uh, uh, specifically this uh, family is really exemplifies that you you may run, but you can uh, cannot hide. Nineteen forty one, you were able to come back after a year. Nineteen forty four, that was the final station, Auschwitz. Um, you know Rob, what? I think the most uh, equally fascinating uh, is a uh, picture three point four and three point five. You yes. point, I tell you why it's fascinating. Here comes again a scholar who looks beyond the picture. On this picture, I found one of them in Paris and one of them in Budapest. But finally, I also found the, the second one from Paris, also in the Budapest archives. This was taken by the same person. Wow. Because I saw the first picture loading up on trucks the Jewish family, and then when they are downloading them at the train station for the cattle train uh, wagons, the same group of people. And finally, I understood that both pictures were taken by the same person. It was Countess Sapari, one of the save, one of the trying to save persons. She was a countess excellent relationship with the polish nobility the mother was polish contest and she tried to see it. they traveled to this region and documented what's happening the lawlessness how they collecting these people on this contest took the picture as unloading them and took a picture i wrote to the to the archives identify both of them the same person took one of the saviors I use, the three women I am mentioning in the book. On these two pictures, uh, I was stunned when I finally realized
0: that it shows the same people, the same Jewish family. It's interesting, in any case. Can you describe the Krivoi Rogue massacre?
1: And now it's interesting. The Krivoi Rogue massacre wasn't involving Hungarian Jews. It was too far, but the person I am mentioning that took seven pictures, the Hungarian uh, driver, Jewish driver, truck driver, he ended up in Krival Road with with the company, the military company. and By coincidence, they saw the Jews of Krival Road are led to one of the mass murder sites which wasn't a mass grave. It was just a, um, what you call it in English? Uh, a, a natural sight with the deep walls, they were able to use as a mass grave. And they heard this Hungarian uh, military driver, Jewish, heard the constant uh, uh, shots, the burst of shots on the uh, the next day they decided two of them let's see what happened there so they went there and they found not just clothing but prayer shelves they found the uh, prayer books as a Jew he understood it immediately but what, what captivating in that that he describes the mass grave that it covered but wasn't covered because the Germans were not meticulous about covering the mass graves. As a matter of fact, um, they never did it themselves. We kill, but we don't cover. So what happened is, uh, they knew first neighboring villages to come, like in Kamenets Podolsk. The woman that I described, Valentina, the father was first to come cover the graves. Not only that, but they first also to bring their horses and thumb down, thumb down the, the dirt over the killed or semi-killed or alive people. I remember growing up in the 50s on my opponent describing the three days in Covenants Prologues uh, given by the Hungarian soldiers coming back that three ways the ground was uh, uh, moving. Christ were heard. So I grew up with a pretty good idea what a mass grave can be. On the same what they saw, this uh, Hungarian uh, Jewish driver on his, his friend, exactly what, what happened in Evoiro. Can you tell us about
0: Friedrich Yekeln? Can you I think you can. Uh, Elaborate on his personality and on his psychopathology.
1: Um, I I, I spent some time on, on him in the book. I do. It's a fascination uh, of what makes people uh, engage what they do. What fascinated me about him is that his first wife was Jewish. Wow. They divorced. Another fascination that the two sons who were from his marriage were in the Wehrmacht serving in uh, in the German army. One of them, I think, were killed, or both of them. I don't remember exactly. But the fascination for me about him is that he was a, a, the typical German military man on during what's third, uh, there is no compromise. It's interesting, 1945 he was captured, tried by the Soviet military tribunal and executed, but he was a matter-of-fact man. Uh, he admitted what he did. He did not find uh, or try to find any uh, mitigating circumstances. He wasn't a well-educated person in spite of being an SS general. But, you know, so many of these mass murderers weren't well-educated. And what fascinated me, permit me if I'm a little bit sidetracked here, but fascinated me that many of the top-level officers had law degrees. They had doctorates from universities, especially in Galicia the top-level leadership, except the governor, who was basically uh, appointed because his strong affiliation on knowing Hitler, on Hitler. But the the second tier, uh, they had PhDs or they had doctorates and they had law degrees. Hi, uh, very interestingly, uh, many of them were aficionados of concerts, Mozart and so forth. So they were well-educated. Having said that, Yekel uh, was not as Wickel was also very competitive. I found, interestingly enough, he he wanted the out of Himmler. He reported directly to Himmler. on the former uh, SS generals, who basically were seeing the mass murder, he was very competitive. He constantly reported. Uh, he, in his last report from Covenants Podcast, he emphasizes his achievement. belittling the police battalions so there was definitely an ego component vis-a-vis another
0: commandant can you tell us about the oranine massacre what transpired
1: uh that's another component that nobody ever knew about it i found it by coincidence or not i found two uh, oral testimonies in the Spielberg archives in the USC in Los Angeles um, that opened my eyes. Two days before the, the Kamenets Podolsk massacre, Orinin is approximately 15 miles from Kamenets Podolsk, and there was a large number of Hungarian Jews pushed over there, not brought into the city. Of It might have been because the commandant of Kamenets Pudogs, who did not participate, by the way, in the mass murder, he didn't even know about it. Many of the people who were killed didn't know about it. The Hungarian military uh, really didn't know about it. But in any case, Orinin was around the 20, 15 uh, miles, around 25 kilometers from communist products, around 2,000, 2,500 Hungarian Jews. And they were, two days before, collected and started to move them toward the Orinan to a former military fortress. Um, and massacred en mass, almost completely, all, all the 2,000, 2,500 people. Um, I tried to figure out two issues. One is, why were they killed? Secondly, who were the killers? Um, I know that it wasn't uh, uh, Yakian's forces, because he didn't have really too much forces. He had his commander stab, his uh, stock personnel, which was not more than 100, 150. Secondly, it wasn't the, the um it wasn't the police battalions because they were commanded to come over the day of the a day before the massacre, and one uh, uh, battalion killed Two days after the massacre started, the third day they participated. So my question was really, who could have done it? Is Yeken made mm-hmm. it cool they didn't want that this group of people will come into Kamenets Podolsk? It was all uh, They wanted to take care of Kamenets Podolsk, but before they take care of it, they wanted to take care of this group of people. And the only plausible explanation I found is there was a SS company, Romming, who did participate in mass murder, and they might have done it. Um, I did not find anything in the archives even. Uh, So in, in my estimation, it was a preemptive killing not to have this mass of people move toward Commandant's products was already overwhelming what's happening
0: there. So two days before, they took care of that group of people. Can you tell us about the activities of reserve police battalion 320? Um,
1: It was an interesting group of people. After the war, they disappeared, more or less. Nobody was. um, It really, in the 1970s, opened the files. Not only the reserve for his battalion, but also uh, the commandant of Comanets Podols, uh, Myler, uh, Colonel. Um, He, first let me address Myler's role. He was uh, in, in a very precarious position because he had to maintain, he didn't report to The SS, he didn't report, he was uh, the commandant of the city. He had a problem with food supply, and he expressed that, that the food supply is is hard as it is, and this influx of Hungarian Jews, it makes it even worse. He didn't know about the the plan for the massacre. Um, As a matter of fact, one of his Assistant saved 70 Jews by locking them into a barn and tell them not to move because mass murder taking place. Um, Now, getting back to the um, uh, issue of uh, the Reserve Police Battalion 320, the police battalions became specially in especially in Galicia, a mainstay of mass murder. They collected, they brought uh, the Jews. Sometimes they forced them to participate in the mass murder. like what happened in Kamenetspodolsk. The commandant of the three of these battalions objected to yekian to have them participate, to no avail and some of them volunteered as a matter of fact. on um, uh, they they were ordinary men. You remember that uh, police Battalion 101, ordinary man, that was the title of the book, Ordinary Man, police Battalion 101? It was clearly uh, not a uh, military grade. They were from Vienna and Berlin, and the regular police departments commanded to the Eastern uh, Theater participating. And they were key in the process because they brought the Jews to the uh, mass murder side. Uh, they were also key when the dead camps became functional to. Collect so like the Jews, bring them to the um, to the train station, load them up into the uh, cattle cars, and they were guarding the train. So they became integral part of the Holocaust. Many of them were not tried. Uh, I find in the seventies there were some, but uh, since in Germany at that time, West Germany didn't have the
0: uh the death penalty. So it's they didn't answer anything. They weren't punished. What did you consider the most fascinating aspects of your research?
1: Um I was asked that <laughs> before. Um how amazing a scholarly research sometimes benefits from unintended consequences, uh or benefit from a uh, uh, Research moments that you never dreamed about. I can give you examples. Like, for example, uh, I didn't have uh, pictures of one of the women who escaped from the colonial ghetto, getting back to Hungary, and uh, his parents. His parents remained in the ghetto and were killed three weeks afterward. And uh, the emotional moment she describes when they separate, and say goodbye. It's an amazing psychological moment that I just, on the, I didn't have any picture of her. And suddenly, an Israeli connection, I sent the the material over and she sent back a reply. I know the family. My grandmother was the best friend of her, this woman who escaped. And I'm contacted and suddenly, the doctor of this woman sent me a picture. It's in there, in the book. Um, on on the internet uh, inadvertently, I got on a, on a website about SS in the Second World War, and I asked about the two SS men, Krieger and Leiberitz, and a man answers to me from Germany. Uh, is a is an amateur historian that lives in the same town as Lederitz, knows the family, knows the house, sending me pictures about the house when Lederitz was from Kolomea, the mass murderer, that I want to write a book about him. Knows the family of the wife of Lederitz. As I already mentioned to you that they don't want to do anything, they do uh, suddenly, I'm getting material that nobody ever heard. And he writes to me that I have problems. I found the archives in Warsaw, but they don't want to talk to me. What do you think you can do? And suddenly, I opened the gate. They immediately respond to me, maybe because I'm American. And we started to find all the material about Lederitz and his wife on their trial in Warsaw. I mentioned briefly in the book, um, so the unintended consequences or uh, um, sources non-stop in this book. Um, I'm grateful because not too many uh, researchers has this this amazing amazing uh, sources that this book is presenting. I don't believe that I find too many books like that finds this kind of, I use the term pinball syndrome, the pinball machine syndrome. When the barber was left, right, and left, that, but always hits the right corner and goes to the right direction. Does it make sense? Absolutely. <laughs>
0: it just, um, let, let's just use the term I am blessed. Can you tell us about what you've been working on or where your time has gone since completing this book?
1: Um, Well, there is two, several issues I needed to deal with. One is it's translated in Europe, so uh, I don't translate. But I found, again, unintended consequences. Uh, The translator in Budapest, when he saw the book, he said, I am the only one who can touch this book. And it came out that his father was in the same concentration camp as my father. So it's an immediate personal connections again. Uh, I'm working on that. I just sent all the pictures to to Europe for the publication. But again, I am fascinated by um, one of the mass murderers, Peter Lederitz, a very humble man. Really, nothing out of the ordinary. He identified himself as a second lieutenant. Then, in some uh, places, uh, he is titled as first lieutenant. Maybe during the trial in Warsaw, wanted to be that he is a very humble, not, uh, not a big player, I don't know. But uh, I am fascinated by him and his wife. His wife was also on um, accused of participating in, in mass murder and he was just a house frau, you know in German Housewife. what is he doing in the ghetto shooting people um, so it's, it would be an interesting book to understand the psychology understand why I am there when I have to kill people but why I am there why I am stealing all the valuables sending it back to Germany <laughs> Well, uh, it's not just uh, the victims would say that he's on officers after the war testified that he nonstop stole property. Or Kruger, the another mass murderer who, was, uh, who went on trial of the SS Court, because, as I mentioned in the book, because he just Looted everything he can put his hand on, As he arresting people. He took away property. So finally, he was uh, demoted from captain to. Um, uh, but again, I going back to it later. It's I'm fascinated because the wife also what the wife has to do was he was she indeed murderer, or it was a mistaken identity.
0: It's a mystery story, fascinates. As we bring today's dialogue to a close, I'd like to thank you with the entire essence of my being for your devotion and dedication during our dialogue today.
1: I think it's a mutual. I appreciate immensely how much you understood the book just by your questions.
0: Thank it's you a, so much. This thank you so much. It's really a masterpiece. Well... I appreciate it. On any time, if I can be any help, you always know my phone number. Okay, thank you. And as you we know. as we end today's interview, I'm your host on the New Books in Jewish Studies podcast, Ari Barbalat. Today, I've been in dialogue doc- with Dr. George Eisen. He is professor and international author. He is also a CEO of. Global Education Consulting. We have been in dialogue regarding his newly published book, A Summer of Mass Murder, 1941, Rehearsal for the Hungarian Holocaust, published in West Lafayette, Indiana, by Purdue University Press, 2023. Thank you. Thank you so much.